to this, the 14th episode of A Language I Love Is. I'm your host, Danny, and this episode is another journey into the Semitic language family. Joya Kakioli, a syntactician and PhD researcher at the University of Geneva, joins me to introduce one member of that family, Tigrinya, primarily spoken in Eritrea and Ethiopia. Together, we dive into the fundamentals of Tigrinya, as well as what, for Joya, makes the language so syntactically interesting. For this episode of A Language I Love Is, I have the pleasure to be joined from Geneva in Switzerland by Joya Cacchioli. Now, Joya is a PhD student there at the University of Geneva, and I'm delighted that she's agreed to come along today and spend some time with me, virtually, unfortunately, uh, to talk about one language that she researches, is very much at the heart of her research, and I dare say loves very dearly. So, um, Joya, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? How's life in Switzerland? Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for having me here today. Such a great pleasure, really, and such an honor to be among the guests of this podcast. And before I start mentioning the language that I love, just let me take like a couple of seconds to tell you, thank you. Thank you on behalf of all linguists, because this podcast is just a great, great project. And it is, it's just brilliant because if I may say so, uh, I'm sure that you always receive the same question that I receive whenever I say that I'm a linguist. Uh, oh, nice. How many languages do you speak? And so <laughs> this is just a great way to explain that that is not the case. That is not what we do. And we actually tend to love one language more than the others and to focus on one language. So thank you for, you know, vulgarizing sort of what we do in linguistics. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I want to say. <laughs> well, uh, let's let's leave the episode there. I think this has been a great point. <laughs> uh, great point to end on. Thank you so much. Uh, Joya Kakioli, everyone. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Like I said, the response to this podcast so far has just been wonderful. And, and, and yet again, so thank you. Thank you so much for saying so. But you are the guest. You're the star of the show today. So let's turn things away from me and onto you, Joya. Let's talk about one particular language today. And this is a language that I dare say for the majority of listeners, they will not be familiar with. I'm just assuming, obviously, I can't know everybody's basis of knowledge. But nonetheless, being perhaps based in the Anglophone world, in Europe and in the United States. This is perhaps a language that will not be too familiar to them, but that's great. We're here to change that today. So this is the main question. Joya, what is a language that you love and want to talk about today? Of course. So the language that I, that I really love is Tigrinha, or let me just rule my R to tell everybody that I'm Italian, Tigrinha. So Tigrinha is a language that is actually, as you said, is quite unknown, but it's actually spoken in the throughout the world by 9 million people, mainly in its original countries, I would say, Eritrea and Ethiopia. So in Eritrea, it is the national and official language. And then in northern Ethiopia, it is spoken mostly in the Tigray region. But of, of course, then in Eritrea and Ethiopia, you have other languages that are spoken, uh, mostly Cushitic languages. Uh, so Tigrinya is a Semitic language, as Amharic is, and Amharic is the official language of Ethiopia. But of course, there are multiple languages that are even less known than Tigrinya in our, you know, westernized world. 
So this is East Africa. This is a linguistically diverse region of the world. You've mentioned already that we have lots of languages, languages that you haven't even mentioned by name, lots of languages, lots of language families. In terms of its language family, I think that will perhaps be very beneficial to the people listening to put Tigrinya in its genealogical context. Let's work up the family tree. What might be its closest linguistic cousins and languages in that part of Africa with which Tigrinya shares a lot of affinity? Of course. So Tigrinya is, I would say, most closely related to languages such as Tigray, spoken in Eritrea, also in Ethiopia, and Amharic, so the official language of Ethiopia. Uh, and then because it is a Semitic language, you can think of, you know, Arabic and Hebrew. They could be their, you know, their cousins. And uh, actually in the second episode of this podcast, you had the lovely Iris Camille talking about Akkadian. So if you can think of Akkadian as being like the, the great, great grandmother of Tigrinya and then Gez, which is classical Ethiopic, would be the, the grandmother. And Tigrinya, you know, would be like the the rebel teenage daughter because I will, as as I will mention later, I uh, Tigrinya misbehaves a little bit among Semitic languages in in syntactic terms. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, the rebel granddaughter. I like the sound of that. Hopefully, we can unpack in what ways it is rebelling. But we should emphasize this is a Semitic language. It belongs to the very broad, diverse Semitic family of languages, which includes Arabic and Hebrew. But should we assume, from the perspective of speakers of these languages, that these are so far removed from one another that they are not mutually? comprehensible. Is that fair to say? Arabic and Tigrinya? Oh, completely, yeah. yeah. Also because maybe I should have mentioned that Tigrinya is, a, is considered a ethio-Semitic language. So you get right away a, a subgroup of the, the huge Semitic family, of course, yeah. Yes, okay, understood that. So perhaps we can find some similarities, maybe many similarities between these languages, but they might not be kind of perceptually obvious. They'd be something you'd have to look for, maybe in terms of sounds and grammar. Is that fair to say? At the kind of basic level of these languages, we would find similarities. So in terms of phonology, I'm not a phonologist, I'm a syntactician, so I'm not really an expert on the sounds of these languages, but they are very, I must say that they are very similar. So the phonology is very similar. The grammar, it's sort of similar, but again, Tigrinia misbehaves a little bit. Uh, that's why I love it so much. But what I can say, and what also your other guest, Iris Camille, already told you, uh, is that we can think of Semitic languages with, uh, with this idea that they, that they possess this non-concatenative uh, morphology. So they are very similar in regards to that. So by that term, by this lovely linguistic piece of, of technical uh, language, non-concatenative morphology, we're talking about the way that they build words. Is that fair? Exactly. Exactly. Is, right. is, is exactly how they build word in the language is, uh, is the system of word formation. And basically, if a language has non-concatenative morphology, it means that the roots in the language are the, the semantic core of the words. And there are, the roots are always three consonantal. So you have three consonants and then other types of information. For example, if I want to construct a verb, so I, I would need tense aspect, etc. Then I would use templates of vowels that are actually transfixed into the, into the roots among these, these consonants. Yes. And so all Semitic right. languages, they, they all behave the same way. They all have this, uh, non-concatenative uh, morphology. 
I like to think of this, just to help myself, I like to think of this as being like a kind of lock and a key in the way that the key slots into the lock. You have your three consonants. They together mean something, but they can't be pronounced on their own. You have to add some vowels and you have to add something else to make a proper word. So, so cool and so far outside my nice and cosy Indo-European comfort zone. So I'm fascinated by all of this. But the long and short of it is, this says to me, Tigrinya is very much a Semitic language. It belongs to this family. Yeah, lots of connections that you can find. Moving away from the features of the language, could you just tell us a bit about the people who speak it. Is there, for example, one specific people, one ethnic group that is associated with Tigrinya? Or is it a language of many peoples? Uh, You've mentioned two countries so far, but could you just tell us who are they, the people that speak Tigrinya? What I can tell you is more about the language, not really about the people. I'm aware uh, because I work in my PhD with uh, native speakers of Tigrinya, and they all come from Eritrea, but from different regions. And there actually is dialectal variation in Tigrinya, but no study has, has ever been made so until today about that. Tigrinya is a, a language that I would say changes a lot and has a lot of influence from these other languages that are spoken in Ethiopia and in Eritrea. For example, as I said before, in Ethiopia, there are a lot of Cushitic languages. And so we can see in Tigrinya that there is a lot of that in terms of uh, aspect and tense. I believe that Tigrinians, people who speak the Tigrinian language, I believe that they are predominantly Christian. That may allow us to assume that there have been certain linguistic influences coming into Tigrinya and some that haven't come into Tigrinya. So, for example, Arabic, being a language closely associated with Islam, may not have contributed so much, whereas a language associated with Christianity may have done so. I'm thinking specifically of this enormously prestigious language of that part of Africa, Ge'ez. Do you know anything about how much Ge'ez has contributed to Tigrinya and what kind of a language Ge'ez is? So Ge'ez was uh, classical Ethiopic and is not spoken anymore. It's a, if I may say, a dead language, died around the the 14th century. And so Ge'ez nowadays, I know that it's still the liturgic uh, language, so used in in church. Uh, And actually, you're right, most Eritreans and, and I think also Ethiopian people are Orthodox what I have right on, on top of my head right now, when I think about the, the link between Tigrinya and Gaze, it's actually the script that is used mm. in Tigrinya. So in okay. Tigrinya, they use the Gaze script. So the Gaze script is a bugida. It's basically a syllabary, or you can say alpha syllabary, and basically is a, a writing system in which consonant vowel sequences are written as a sort of units. So basically, each unit is composed of a main consonant, a letter, and then the vowel, it's also part of this unit, of this letter. It's a secondary sign, it's a sort of a diacritical mark. Uh, and in Tigrinya, it's very interesting. So there are about 30 consonants. Some letters are not used anymore in Tigrinya. They were used uh, in Gaze. When it comes to vowels, there are seven vowels. They are called actually orders. And the vowels in Tigrinya are E, U, I, A, E, and O. 
Very, very interesting. Yeah, this is perhaps something that is new to our listeners. Um, there are many ways of writing down languages, of, of creating a script for a language. And perhaps we can say that Abu Gida could be the word of the episode, this little bit of terminology, because it's, it's actually, it's a global phenomenon. The, this idea that it's not one symbol, a written symbol per sound, it's per syllable, which is actually very efficient if you think about it. You know, yes, you're going to require more symbols to write down this language because you need to combine one consonant with one vowel, and that's going to multiply the number of written symbols. But actually, your words are going to be shorter. On the page. And yeah, Abu Gidas, uh, there are many of them. Um, another one that comes to mind is Devanagari, which Hindi is written down by, for example. It's the same idea of writing down one consonant and a vowel to go with it. So fantastic. Could you give us a sense? I know this is difficult in an audio format, but could you give us a sense of what it looks like? Is it very different to any other alphabet or writing system that people may have seen? I can actually give you an example using a letter, the first letter or the first unit that I learned when I learned uh, the Gaze script uh, is uh, the sound B, so the letter B in English. So you can think of it uh, is represented as a as if you were to draw a, a sort of a, a bridge or a mountain. Or me, I like to think about it as legs, you know, just legs. And basically, if you write the legs, so the sound would be B. If you add on the right knee of these legs a little line, horizontal line, it would be boo. If you add a right foot, it would be b. If you cut off, <laughs> sorry for the image, but if you cut off the left leg, it would be ba. If you add a little shoe on the right leg, it would be be. And if you add a, a horizontal line on the right leg, it would be b. And finally, if you cut off the right uh, foot, it would be bo. So it's very, it's very pretty. It's just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful script. Wonderful. I love that. That's a really nice image. I will remember that because I have no skill in the Ge'ez script. So I will, yeah, I will remember that. That's a lovely, lovely introduction to it. The main point really we should emphasize is this is very different. This is not like the Arabic script. This is certainly not like the Latin or Greek script. This is its own tradition that has been enormously influential. Can I assume that the Ge'ez script is written for the classical language of Ge'ez? It's written for Tigrinya, but also more languages of that area. Is that right? Oh, of course, yeah. Amharic is written with that, uh, with the same script. I also think that Zai is another Semitic language spoken in Ethiopia, is written with the same script. So we have now built up a little bit of a language profile. I like to think that we've successfully introduced the Tigrinian language for beginners, Tigrinian 101, if you like. But I would like to move away from this language and turn to the question of why we're talking about it today. And of course, that's all about you, Joya. At the University of Geneva, you are a syntactician. So you're looking at things like word order, the way that sentences and clauses are built, the way that words and morphemes are put together. But let's wind back the clock. Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. What started you on this journey towards being a scholar of the Tigrinian language? Sure. So am I allowed to go really to the beginning of my life? Like it's going really to be to like the beginning of your when life. gays yeah. and Acadian were still spoken languages. 
Okay. Sure, so, if you want, if you want to go that far back, it's absolutely sure, fine. Let's let's, let, let's settle at uh, your childhood. Exactly. That's it. That that's where everything, where the magic started. So when I was eight years old, my parents decided to go on summer vacation in Tunisia, and actually we did that not only once, but for six, seven years. Every single summer, we would spend three weeks in Tunisia and a couple of times also in Morocco. And so me as an eight-year-old, you know, born and raised in Switzerland in this unknown <laughs> and forgotten canton in which we speak Italian, I was exposed basically only to Italian. So I arrived in this country and I heard people speaking in this, you know, almost magical language. And I saw that the language was written with these magical signs, you know, Arab. I'm talking about Arabic now, not Tigrinya. But uh, so I thought it was just beautiful. And I wanted to know more about Arabic. And so, you know, you know, I was eight years old. And then, you know, I arrived uh, at university a couple of years later, I must say. Uh, But I did an undergraduate in Arabic studies, because again, for my passion about Semitic languages. And then I was very, very lucky, you know, in academia, as you may know, Danny, we have to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, my supervisor, my PhD supervisor, when I was doing my master's, he offered a seminar about fieldwork in linguistics. So the year prior, he, he proposed a seminar about an Italian dialect. Uh, so he had a native speaker of this Italian dialect in the class and the students had to uh, learn the language by doing fieldwork. And then the, the year when I was attending that seminar, it was Tigrinya. So he had two native speakers of Tigrinya in that class, and we had to learn about the language. And so because it was a Semitic language, you know, me, I was completely like enthusiastic. It was just great. But also I went and started reading about the literature of Tigrinya. And I realized that there was nothing at all. There are indeed some grammars uh, written by some Italian colonizers because Eritrea was a, was an Italian colony, uh, in the 19th century. And so these colonizers would go to Eritrea and study and, ju- but just describing the language. Uh, so yeah, I had a couple of Italian grammars about Tigrinya, a couple of other articles, you know, more theoretically driven. There was just a, you know, a, a person in the United States who wrote a master thesis about Tigrinya. And actually, I, I've been collaborating with this person for the last two years. He's a very lovely professor. But that was it. There was nothing. And so I, I was so happy because, oh my God, here we have this Semitic language, undervalued, understudied, and I can really do something with it in my PhD thesis. And basically, I could do anything I wanted because nobody has ever studied it before. And because I'm a syntactician, I started looking at the syntax and, you know, the morphosyntax of it. That's a fantastic story. It's unique, but also strangely typical in that so much of someone's academic career is just luck. Um, I'm curious, you mentioned that you have been working with native speakers of Tigrinya. What's that experience been like? I'm thinking the whole process of working with these people who I presume are non-linguists. So you need to work closely to get the information that you are looking for. What's that been like? How did you find these people? Are there large communities of Tigrinyan speakers or, or not? And what is their role in your research as collaborators with you? 
So this is the best thing ever. Fieldwork in linguistics is just amazing. So me, I'm a syntactician. So what I do is basically I'm in a little corner and I draw, I draw syntactic trees, you know, but with, mm-hmm. by doing fieldwork. So by studying a language that is not my own, I have the chance to go to these people and know, know them. So basically there's a huge community of, uh, Eritrean and Ethiopian refugees in, in Geneva. So it's very easy to get access to the, to the community. And so I have uh, three informants. They are the best. They are the loveliest people. Uh, they are very smart. They are not linguists. So that's also very funny because they really appreciate me looking at their language and they, they're, you know, they are discovering their own language with me <laughs> during fieldwork. And so it's just a great experience because, you know, I can leave my little syntactician corner and do some work with, you know, with real people and, uh, and listening to them. And it's, it's just a, a, an amazing experience. I can imagine. I can just imagine. Um, what might a typical session with them look like? What happens? What, what, what do you need their, their help with? Oh, basically, uh, there's a lot of preparation be- before each session, each uh, fieldwork session. Basically, it depends on what I'm interested in. Uh, I prepare um, uh, sentences in French. So I speak with these informants in French. I prepare sentences in French and I ask for the translation in Tigrinya. Or I prepare Tigrinya sentences so that I write myself and then I ask them, okay, is this sentence correct is this sentence not correct it's basically uh the task is we call it grammaticality or acceptability judgment um so that's what i ask my informants to do right so with their help you're you're getting a better understanding of what might be the fundamental structure of this language which you yourself you don't have access to that you need their help in this regard exactly yeah unfortunately you know i wish i wish but i'm just stuck with italian you know so (laughs) well yeah stuck (laughs) true yeah as you are a native speaker of italian i understand but nonetheless uh, yeah wonderful uh yeah no this is this is excellent and i I think it's great that you have this partnership with them uh, working Working together to raise awareness of the Tigrinya language, even among linguists. I, I'm learning stuff myself. I don't know about I this. See, um, yes. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> That's the you goal. Know, so, yes. <laughs> the goal. So it's, it's working already. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm personally just very envious that you get to work with people who are still alive, uh, which is something, <laughs> which is something I don't get to do, uh, at all. Um, yeah, I don't get to hang out with real people. I just squint at manuscripts. Uh, so yeah, this, this is great stuff. So, I mean, o- overall, how's it going? The PhD project, how far into it are you? And is, is the end in sight? Dare I ask? The end is unfortunately, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately in sight. Yes, uh, I still have. I'm in the middle of it, more or less, but mm. there's still a lot of things. There are still, I mean, there's always more data to gather and more stuff to look at. So it's, um, yeah, PhD life. It's time now for the second question that is integral to the format of A Language I Love Is, which is, again, still exploring your relationship to to Tigrinya. Simply put, what is something that you love about this language? Please tell us something that you think we should know and something that is just cool about Tigrinya. Okay, so this question is quite difficult for me, not because I don't know the answer, but because it's very difficult for me to explain it in simpler terms 
to people that are not syntactician, but I'll try to do that. As I just said, I'm a syntactician. So what I do is I look at syntax, at the syntax of Tigrinian or of languages in general. So basically I look at the word order in sentences. So let's take, for example, uh, a very simple sentence in English. Joya loves Tigrinian. The order of the words in English is we have the subject, Joya, the verb, loves, and then the object, Tigrinian. So we say that English is a head initial language because the verb precedes the object. Now, Tigrinia is a head final language because the verb follows the object. So in Tigrinia, to say Joya loves Tigrinia, I would say Joya Tigrinia Tefetu. And so basically I have the subject, then the object, Tigrinia, and then in final position, the verb. So this is a simple sentence, but now let's look at uh, a more complex sentence, literally a complex sentence. I think that Joya loves Tigrinia. This is a complex sentence because we have a main clause, I think, and then a subordinate clause that Joya loves Tigrinia. So we expect, because Tigrinia is a head final language, that the subordinate clause that Joya loves Tigrinia will precede the main clause, a little bit like the object precedes the verb in Tigrinia, right? And from the literature, we also know that the complementizer, how, how we call it, the, the that, I think a that, that, that's a complementizer, will also be final in Tigrinia and initial in English. So in Tigrinia, we would expect the sentence to be Joya, Tigrinia loves, that I think. So that the that follows the verb because we are in a head final language. However, Tigrinia does not do that. In Tigrinia, we have Joya, Tigrinia, that loves, I think. So basically, it's a mixture between a real head final language and a head initial language. Tigrinia seems to be behaving a little bit like a head final language and a little bit like a head initial language. And so basically, Tigrinia is just very, very weird in syntactic terms. You know, it's just fascinating. I say weird in a very positive way. I think that I'm weird. Tigrinia is weird. It's a wonderful match <laughs> made in heaven. <laughs> but yeah, that's why I love Tigrinia because it's just weird. It doesn't behave. Is the, as I said before, is the rebel misbehaving teenage daughter of Acadian. So that's why I'm very interested in, in Tigrinia because it's just, you know, it's, it's a mystery why Tigrinia behaves in that way. So I'm yeah. sort of trying to give the answer in my PhD thesis. And and do you feel that you found an answer? Do you think this problem has a solution? <laughs> yes. No, actually, jokes aside, yes. I think I think I have a couple of ideas that might explain why Tigrinia is misbehaving. It's not really misbehaving. It's just first appearance, you would say in English. At the end of the day, Tigrinia is not misbehaving at all. Right. Understood. Okay. So as I understand it, you're looking at the relationships between the words in a sentence and the way that they are arranged. I can understand this difference between head final and head initial. It's all to do with what precedes what and what follows what. But this idea of Tigrinia being a bit of a rebel, of misbehaving, is that in comparison to other languages? Is that going against what other Semitic languages do? Yes. Yes. 
Exactly. That that right. that's the that's the mystery. That's the great thing about Tigrinya. That's why I said we expect because other, I mean, maybe all of them, other had final languages. They behave in a different way than Tigrinya. Right. So it really is going against the current within Semitic. So I can totally see why this is a very, very appealing issue for you to tackle. I personally, I also am a syntactician, as people know. I love, you know, word order, but I also work on historical word order and why it changes over time. There are two general reasons that we can look at for why this happens, internal and external. So languages can definitely change with, without any external pressures. They can just change within the community. But there are also external pressures where languages are coming in and changing things and influencing things. Do you have any sense of why Tigrinya has diverged from the rest of Semitic? I have no idea. <laughs> Great. Okay, good. Well, that's more work for me then. <laughs> so I'm not looking at history. I really have a, a synchronic approach to syntax instead of a diachronic thing. So I don't look at the history of syntax. But for what I know, Tigrinya has always been like that. If I look at mm -hmm. Bibles, for example, in Tigrinya, usually I just focus on the oral language. But a couple of times I looked at Bibles and I can find the same phenomena that are found in spoke in the spoken language nowadays. So for that regards, right. it, it hasn't changed. So it's always been like that. I see. Interesting. Well, what you're definitely doing is just adding even more colour to our understanding of Semitic, of, of this vast language family and how there's so much variety in Semitic. Fantastic. Unfortunately, I have to move you on to now the third and final question of A Language I Love Is, which is your chance to give us a kind of parting point, something to take away as we, as listeners, now go out into the world now knowing so much about Tigrinya. So, what is something that you think we should all know about the Tigrinya language? I actually think that that it exists, that Tigrinya exists. That's the most important thing. Because as I said before, it's such a understudied, undervalued language. So I think that it's very important that people know that this language exists, that of course, people that speak this language exist. If you think about uh, Google Translator, people might not know that the Tigrinya, how can I say, the version of the Google Translator, so to be able to to translate from Tigrinya or into Tigrinya was just created uh, last year. It's sad. So I really hope that, you know, with this little episode today, people will know, okay, so Tigrinya is a language of the world. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, you mentioned about 9 million speakers. That's a lot exactly. of people. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's, uh, that's the Czech Republic, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Switzerland. That's Switzerland, yeah. Nine, exactly. <laughs> Switzerland. 9 million so, people. You know. yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. London. <laughs> London is 10. London is 10 oh, million wow. people. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. we're talking, a, you know, a group of people the size of one of these global cities. So yeah, this, this definitely needs to be better known. Fantastic. Uh, I know that you have some fun facts at the end of each episode. So I'm going to be a copycat and, and do the same thing. So I'm going to propose a little fun fact that I think it's fun, but I'm a geek. So maybe the people uh, will not think it's fun, but uh, a little fun fact about Tigrinya. So if you think about English, in English, there is no grammatical gender. So if I think about grammatical gender of inanimate objects, and I want to say the book, the book is uh, neither 
either masculine or feminine. If I think of a language as Italian, the book would be il libro, so it's masculine, and I cannot say la libro, I cannot use the, the feminine article. Well, in Tigrinya, for inanimate objects, grammatical gender is not fixed. So if I want to say the book, let's say that Joya is a native speaker of Tigrinya, uh, Joya will use a feminine article. But then Danny, who is also a native speaker of Tigrinya, will use the masculine article. So metzhaf, the book, can be iti metzhaf, so masculine, or ita metzhaf, feminine. This is really unusual. So grammatical gender really varies uh, it's not fixed, and it depends on the individual or the region or the city. Oh, wow. Gender that is so much more dependent on context. Cool. Yeah, it is. It is. Once again, Tigrinha, weird. <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I, again, for context, then, this is something that it, it's very fixed in other Semitic languages. I think in Arabic, for example, masculine, feminine doesn't change. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yes, but so I have uh, three, um, you can call them consultants. Me, I like to call them informants so that I can feel like a FBI agent. But uh, so my three informants for one of them, book, mitzhaf, is feminine. For another one, book, it's uh, masculine. And another one, well, it changes each session that I see him. Sometimes he produces feminine article and some other times a masculine article. So it's really, it's really weird. Has anybody studied this? No, not that I'm aware of. Well, there you go. If you fancy a second PhD or exactly. a postdoc project. <laughs> or a postdoc, yes, exactly. <laughs> Super. Well, to anybody listening who wants to work on gender and Semitic languages, there is an issue in need of tackling. So I think that sounds fascinating. Well, I love it. I love it. I think it's great that we have two fun facts in this episode, two for the price of one. So... Brilliant. Great way to end the show. There are two things that need to be done now. The first is to say, if people would like to perhaps get in touch, or if people would like to know more about Tigrinya and your work on this language, wh where can they find you? So I have a website, which is www.joyakakioli.com. And there you can find, you know, the talks that I give, um, the description of what I'm doing in my PhD thesis, uh, and of course my email. So yeah, please call me and we can talk about Tigrinya. We can talk also about, you know, Eritrean food. We can talk about whatever, um, whatever is weird and fascinating. I'm all for it. And if you had to recommend one or two resources to get started with this language, I mean, for example, Wikipedia, wh where would you guide people to if they would like to read a little bit more about this language? I don't remember if the Wikipedia page is, uh, is well done, but I'll, I will start from there. And mm. then, as I said, there are a couple of very old grammars. There are a couple of uh, new grammars. There, there is one grammar of Tigrinya written in 1996 by John Mason. It's just called Tigrinya Grammar. It's a nice uh, starting point. And then, uh, and then that's it. You have mentioned that obviously this is not a well-documented language, at least in, in European languages. So yeah, I could appreciate that. Well, all that remains for me to do is just say thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today for talking about this language and talking about it so interestingly and passionately. So seriously, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much.
For my fun fact, I'd like to explore the origins and connections of the name of one of the countries at the heart of this episode, Eritrea. It's a multilingual country, where we can find many different languages and language families, such as Semitic and Cushitic. Yet the name Eritrea comes from Italian, a legacy of when the area was not an independent country, but a colony of the Kingdom of Italy, La Colonia Eritrea. The Italian word Eritreo goes back, via Latin, to the ancient Greek word Eruthros, meaning red, used by the Greeks for the Red Sea, Eruthrethalassa, beside which the country of Eritrea lies. Now, through Greek Eruthros, we can find connections between Eritrea and all sorts of red-related words in other Indo-European languages, such as French rouge, Italian rosso, Welsh ryd, Czech rudi, and in English, the words ruddy, rust, ruby, and of course, red. That's everything for this episode of A Language I Love Is. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do give the show a rating and spread the word. Every recommendation is helping the show to find its audience. Thanks, of course, must go to my guest today, Joya, and to you, dear language lover, for listening. Tune in next time for the final episode of this first series, which will be a special episode with a twist. Till then, bye-bye.